values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here during King LASIK's season of saving LASIK for both eyes is now just $3,500. That is a $2,000 savings. When you couple that with 0% financing for 24 months on approved credit, LASIK with Dr. King is only $146 a month. Go to kinglasik.com slash Arizona for complete details. Um, another fabulous choice. Um, we got to talk about climate change because I, I kind of railed about this last week, and I mean it sincerely. I think I'm an environmentalist. I do. I want clean air. I want clean water. I, I recycle like you're supposed to. I didn't plant a green lawn. I want to make sure we're conserving water. I try to do my best to be a, a good environmental citizen. I got grandkids. I want the Grand Canyon to be as pristine for them and their grandkids as it is for me. All of that's true. What I don't buy into is the nonsense. And I said last week that when they start taking, when, when the climate activists start taking this seriously, I'll start taking it seriously. When they get off their jet airplanes, when they get off their private jets, when they close down their 30,000 square foot houses that are, you know, uh, uh, and the other thing is the climate activists. Now, did you see what they did? They ruined or they they defaced a Warhol painting. They're going after art and gluing themselves to the floor. If you're going to do that, no one is taking you seriously. You are just you are someone who didn't get enough attention. When you were a kid and now you're going out and and throwing a flower on a car and on a Warhol portrait and gluing yourself to the floor in the name of climate change. You got to stop. You look like an idiot. The White House said that they may need to block out the sun. They may use aerosol in the atmosphere to reflect the sun's rays to lower the temperature. It's going to be a five-year study. Um, Um. And this climate deal, when I talk about this being kind of anti-industrialist, these are the things that get to me. There was an agreement, a tentative agreement that was made in Egypt at this climate summit. And the decision Sunday by nations around the world to establish a fund to help poor countries hit hard by the warming planet was one of the most significant since the U.N. climate talks began 30 years ago. It was an unequivocal confirmation that poor countries with limited resources are being most impacted by extreme weather events like floods, heat waves, and storms, at least at some level. So this is where my argument comes into play. I don't know anyone, and I know they exist because we've seen polluters do horrible things in the name of saving money um, instead of doing the right thing. So we know they exist. I've jokingly told the story that I moved from Cleveland, Ohio in 1978 to southwest Florida, which is where I call home. I don't remember anything about northeast Ohio, except I remember when I was a little boy, the river caught on fire. The Cuyahoga River caught on fire. So we know that there were polluters out there. They used to uh, affectionately or not so affectionately call Cleveland the mistake on the lake. And it's no longer that way. They've had a huge renaissance down in Cleveland, and it's a great city. And it's, it's, I was there uh, for the uh, Trump nomination. I, I was covering that, and I was in Cleveland, and it was a whole different place than I remembered. I went back to my, my hometown where um, I was born. I was born in Cleveland, but I would, lived in this little town, a farm town in Geauga County called Newberry, which is now the suburbs. But back then, it was farms, and it was just a great place to be a little kid. Um, and I don't really remember much more about it than I grew up in southwest Florida. I watched the scare tactics of the great freeze and how we weren't going to be able to grow crops and how, how often have we talked about this. 
I think it was Newsweek magazine that wrote the story of how the world was going to die because the freeze was only going to thaw for a short time each year. And we were not going to have the ability to grow crops to feed the world. And then I moved to Florida, and it was the other. It was the hole in the ozone layer, and it was global warming, and we all were going to burst into flames. So I thought, wow, I was in the northeast where it snows, and it was going to get so bad there we were going to die. So we moved to the south, and now in the south we're told it's so hot you're going to burst into flames. We just can't catch a break. And you go through life and you hear people say you've got seven years maximum. We've got 11 years maximum. If we don't do something, we're going to pass the point of no return. And I will tell you that after a while, it is chicken little. It is it is crying that the sky is falling. It is saying – and people just – and you can tell by the experts and the way they behave. King Charles, when he was Prince Charles, that was one of the things that he did – was travel the world on a private jet and scold people and and tell them to change their ways on climate change. John Kerry, on behalf of the Biden administration, has traveled the world talking about climate change and how it needs to stop. These are people that have their own private airplanes. These climate summits that all the richest in the world fly to fly on their own private jet. The carbon footprint of these people is much bigger, what, a hundred times bigger, I would guess, than the average person, and yet they're telling us that our lives need to change. If you look at the recycling program, and, and again, fact check me on these. Go look at the blue can recycling program we have in the city of Phoenix. All that trash goes to the same place. All of that trash goes to the same place. If you want... Um, if you want uh, to take a look, you can see the way you're supposed to – I think you're supposed to take the caps off plastic bottles, and they're supposed to be cleaned and rinsed out. There's not supposed to be any trash in there. So we know what we're doing is for show. you know. And the, and the people that are the big climate change advocates are sometimes the people with the biggest houses and more than one house, and they have all of these places that are adding to climate change. They are personally not doing anything but lecturing other people on what to do. I can't take them seriously any more than I can take someone seriously at 20 years old that goes into an art gallery and defaces a Warhol portrait and then glues themselves to the floor with super glue. No one's taking you seriously. No one's taking you seriously at all. If everybody just was used common sense. If everybody just threw their trash away, leave it cleaner than you found it. Don't litter. Take it easy on water in your lawn right now. All the things, the practical things that we can do. Should we improve in areas? Are we? Should we be proud of the fact that we have EPA standards that are higher than they were before and so we have less emissions? Sure we should. Is there a time where I look at what they do and say, you know, this is bad timing? Absolutely. When the White House puts out new standards for air conditioning units and they become more expensive at a time where we are driving ourselves toward recession, I wonder if that's a smart thing to do. But that's what's happening. And I look at what the White House is doing now and this agreement to get involved because the United States was one of them in this tentative agreement. So now all of a sudden we're going to be part of paying reparations. And I again, somebody explained to me how that cleans up the planet. The answer is it doesn't. It's the redistribution of wealth. It is that anti-industrial uh, idea that says people are the problem. And I just don't I don't subscribe to it. And their behavior shows they don't subscribe to it either because every single one of those people flying around on private jets and has a much bigger carbon footprint than I do. And I'm called the climate denier. 
it's just it, it's it's frustrating. What we're going to do at ten fifteen. Or it is t- almost ten fifteen, ten twenty. We're going to talk about Arizona's economy. The expectation that we will add one hundred thousand jobs—that's a great number. We'll talk about why that's happening in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, ninety-two-three FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. One more reminder, during King LASIK's season of saving, LASIK for both eyes is now just 3500 bucks. That's $2,000 in savings. And with 0% financing for 24 months on approved credit, LASIK with Dr. King is only $146 a month. Go to kinglasik.com slash Arizona for complete details. Let's talk about the Arizona economy and the economy in general. There was a big vote that happened today, and I'm trying to find answers on what happened in the vote, and I apologize I don't have that in front of me. Um, but today was going to be announced from the rail uh, rail unions whether or not there was going to be a strike or a deal made. A rail strike changes everything about the U.S. economy. I'm not a doomsdayer. I'm also someone that doesn't try to embellish stories, but I don't. I don't think you can overstate the seriousness of what would happen if we had a rail strike with everything else that's going on, trying to get goods across this country, especially rolling into the holidays and otherwise. This would be a nightmare for America. So let's find out if that is going to be averted. I'm going to get answers this morning on it. But in Arizona. Arizona, what we have done has changed things for businesses and it has made it a more attractive place for people to come. Remember, we subsidize the things we want more of. We tax the things we want less of. That's the way society works. So we have done a lot to try to foster a better business atmosphere. And one of the things that the governor's office has done, and you can go to KTAR.com and read this story, and I hope you will. Uh, Governor Ducey has launched a one-stop business portal for business owners. It is where you can go in one place that is a multi-agency clearing clearinghouse, so to speak, where you can go and do a checklist of what's necessary to open a business legally in Arizona. So if you're an entrepreneur and you've got a great idea and you want to start a company and you want to launch this, hiring all these attorneys and trying to figure out the steps you have to go through to make sure you're operating a business legally is just a smart idea to have one website with a checklist that makes sure that everything is done. Your I's are dotted, your T's are crossed so that you can go into business and you can do what you do best. Whatever that product is, whatever it is you're selling, whatever it is you're manufacturing, that that's what you can focus on. It's a, it is a great idea. And being able to tell businesses, we have that website available when it comes to Arizona businesses from the Secretary of State's office and getting your business name registered to the, um, to the, uh, Corporation Commission and getting your LLC or your business established there, all of the other things that are necessary to get things done. And they are going to help you streamline that process so that you can get to work. That to me is what we should be doing. To foster a better business atmosphere here. We are in competition. We all are. We are in competition with places like Texas and Nevada and Florida where the climate is just as good as it is here, where the business atmosphere with no state income taxes and those other three, we have got to be a place that is very attractive. Land here is still available. We are seeing this huge expanse going west because we know that there are a lot of goods that come through the port of L.A. We are not that far from L.A. We could be the next stop in the those hubs. We know that there are corporations that are bringing their headquarters here. They are bringing manufacturing here. We have seen high tech. Um, I've talked about the state of Arizona. So the state of Arizona versus the rest of the country 
and in other states that are still very high tax states like New York, like California, where they are still taxing their wealthy people at higher and higher rates, the state of Florida had the biggest migration of wealthy New Yorkers in one month in the history of them tracking that migration recently. California has an exodus of businesses, not because they want to leave California. California is an amazing place. It is a beautiful place. And people don't want to leave. They're forced out to stay competitive in their businesses. And this is one of the places that they are relocating to. We've talked about the state of Arizona. But if you look around, I was just with some people um, on, uh, I think it was Friday night. I was with uh, some people from the Mesa Chamber of Commerce. And the great job that Mesa has done in diversifying their businesses there and bringing in the tech industry. Again, that intentional growth principle of saying we're going to bring in um, businesses here. We're going to invite these high-tech businesses in here that have higher-paying jobs, which means those people that want to live closer to where they work are going to pay more money for higher-end homes. The tax base of the city goes up because people are paying more in property taxes. They are paying more in the things that they purchase because they are higher income, and it makes for a better city. The people that have grown up in Mesa, and not everybody likes it. There are a lot of people that think that I like the old way things were. I like the cotton fields. I like the the feedlots. I like uh, when they're growing hay. I like the farms. But if you're going to have growth, managed intentional growth, and they do a great job of it, and there are other places around that are doing exactly the same thing. Some of the plans they have possibly out in Peoria in the West Valley, Buckeye growing the way that they are. Intentional managed growth. And what I, what's exciting to me about this stuff is in spite of what's happening nationally where we are speeding toward a recession, Arizona's position to survive it. That means everybody. That means that people that are on the lower end of the economic ladder are still going to fare better. That we are not going to see as many people fall through the cracks as maybe in some other places. And I think that's the key. Everybody succeeds. I would rather see us all succeed. At whatever, you know, succeed in the sense that you're better off next year than you are this year, that you've got something to look forward to, that you're building something, that five years down the road, your wealth has grown. You're not in the same financial place you are now uh, and that you can move forward and know that 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. But the other exciting part about this is I have five grandchildren, five. None of them are teenagers yet. They're all under the age of 13, 12, 11. And then it goes down to my granddaughter, who's three. The future for them in 20 years, 20 years from now, if I live that long, I'll be 75 years old. My working days hopefully are going to be over. I'm going to be hopefully in a place where I'm looking at legacy and doing a lot less work than I am working on legacy. But they are going to be in the prime of their lives. Are they going to be in the military? Are they going to be in the workforce? Are they going to be in college? But what's going to be available to them? Are they going to have to leave the state of Arizona in order to excel in a career? Or are we going to have an economic engine that is roaring where they're going to have the ability to choose their destiny? How many of us at a young age ended up in a career because we ended up in a career. That's the direction we went. That's the direction we took. It wasn't necessarily our dream, but it was what paid the bills and it was what gave us the assurance that we'd have food on the table. Wouldn't we want for our children and our grandchildren the ability to choose that life, to have to be able to pick and say there are so many people hiring. I'd love to try this. And then you can. 
And that is why I'm so excited about stuff like this, because this is what economic prosperity affords people. The rich are always going to get richer. God bless them. I'm glad they are. I want them to expand their businesses, try new things, and hire people to do them. But I want to see everyone succeed. Coming up in just a moment, um, we got to talk about immigration. The Democrats are saying that they're not going to be able to get anything done for the Dreamers this year. So my answer is when. We'll talk about that next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Um, The headline from Politico that I started with, I talked about this once before, and we've got to figure out a better way to deal with this. Um, Politico headline, Democrats confront bleak odds of immigration deal before 2023, uh, that that we're not going to get anything done for the dreamers. And, and, you know, there's got to be some some compromise in our minds of what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. There are deal breakers for everyone. We're not always going to agree. I actually had I've had a couple of conversations recently with people that I absolutely love and admire. And uh, we've disagreed on a couple of issues. And I I, I don't mind the disagreement when it's civil and when it's founded in principle. But in the end, realizing that we have to do something about immigration, that the dreamers are the biggest example of the disappointment that the American immigration system is, how broken it is. I've mentioned this quite a bit lately, and I want to stay on this on this theme when I talk about immigration, because I truly feel this way. And, And that is that Immigration is something in America that we should be proud of. The New Colossus, that poem at the foot of the Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. It's not a somber, I don't read it as a somber poem. I don't read it as this very somber. I read this almost as if, um, as Toby Keith would say, the Statue of Liberty is shaking her fist, that we as a nation are saying to the world, we'll take them, send them here. Send those people here and we will forge the greatest nation that the world has ever seen. And I believe we've shown that we can do that. The entrepreneurial spirit, giving someone the ability, the opportunity, the opportunity to forge their own path is what the world wants to do. There's a reason why the economy in China is strong as it is and the availability of jobs and the way some people, you know, the quality of life there in some places. There's a reason why the communist Chinese are traveling across the world to come here. There's a reason why there's 115 or 117 countries represented at our doorstep in Yuma. It's not just people from Mexico or Central America. It's because we have something in this country that the world wants. And this should be something we're proud of. Our immigration system should be something that we are proud of, that so many people want to join us either to come here to work because they're experts in a field and realize that they are going to make better money here or it's a better quality of life here at a time where they're working overseas for them or if they decide that they want to become Americans. And that leads me to the second point, which is why I think we have to really fix this immigration system. Number one is immigrants, the migrants that come here, that do it the right way, that earn U.S. citizenship, that work so hard for so many years, separated from their families, the expense, the, the, the learning of our government and what it takes to pass that citizenship test in order to be sworn in as an American citizen. It's difficult. 
that is difficult mentally, is difficult emotionally. Sometimes it's difficult physically with the hard work you have to do. And But they do it, and then they become citizens. And many of them are better Americans than those of us that were born here. I believe it will be those immigrants that save the country. So to lump everybody together and call them all migrants does a disservice to the people that have done it legally. That doesn't mean we label people with a scarlet letter, but we have to make a designation for the people that have done it the right way. That's just my belief. So when you look at the dreamers, these are literally now people without a country. They can't go back to where they are from. They don't remember it. They don't know anything about it in many cases. And they're Americans for all – for everything about them is American except their birth certificate that says they are whatever country they came from. And we can't fix it. The DREAM Act happened in the Obama administration two presidents ago, and we're failing. We are failing. Title 42 is being being removed by a judge, which means we can no longer use it as a way to expel people that are here illegally. So all of these Venezuelan migrants and other migrants from around the world that are waiting in places like Guatemala or in Mexico to come north, those people now are going to start moving north, realizing that Title 42 will not keep them out. So we are not looking at any end in sight. We haven't fixed the problem that happened 20 years ago. And we're creating a problem for 20 years from now for your children, your grandchildren, and mine. And we should be ashamed of the immigration system we have. And we are to blame. I believe this wholeheartedly, that we have allowed our legislators, we have allowed our members of Congress to skate on this issue. We have said to the hardliners, you have to stay hardliners. We've said to the people that are willing to compromise, don't you dare, because if you do, we will vote you out of office. We've seen it happen on other topics where if you disagree with me on one issue, especially if it's a key issue for me, you're out. We will get rid of you. You will be gone. So there is no working across the aisle. Senator Cinema is facing that right now. You know, I just want to clarify something about Senator Cinema. When Senator Cinema ran for office, and I, I knew Senator Cinema when she was in Congress, when she was representative, and I think I even knew her a little bit before she was elected to her first term in Congress in the House. But um, I had done events with her. I got along famously with her um, on a personal level. We worked on veterans things. We'd show up. When I say work together, we would be at veterans events together when she was a speaker and I was the MC. So we had some time to chat and get to know each other a little bit. And I, when Senator Cinema ran for the United States Senate, her, her campaign slogan was, I'm independent just like Arizona. And I didn't believe her. I came on this show and I said this. I, I went on the air and I said, no way. No way. And she proved me wrong. She has crossed the aisle and she has worked with both sides of the aisle on issues. Now, if you look at her voting record, she's voted very, very to the left. I mean, you know, most of the time she's a Democrat. So she votes like a Democrat. But in areas where she thought it was important to the future of America, getting rid of the filibuster and some other very key issues, she stood up and said, no, that's not the right thing to do. She got censured by her political party. That's the political fallout. You disagree with us. You don't do what we say. We're going to censure you. We're going to primary you. We're going to get rid of you and you're gone. And if we as a voting public don't stand up and say to people, we have got to step forward and allow these people to work together without political repercussions from their own party so that we can get something done. Here we've got what should be the most robust, the most enviable 
um, immigration system on the planet. That we should be the envy of the entire world with the way we are able to bring the the best and the brightest, whether it's the most highly educated or the most highly talented or just the most hardworking and motivated people from around the world that want to live the American dream. And we are just creating this machine that is improving the lives of the rest of the world. But instead, you look at what we've created or we've allowed to be created by the leadership we've elected. And it's a shame. And both sides of the aisle have to take some uh, shame in that. I'm going to talk about education. Are we lowering the education standards in America? I've got two examples that say we absolutely are, and it's time to reverse it. We'll get to that coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. How many of you remember a time where there was a big sense of accomplishment in your life? I, I, you know, being brutally honest with you, there was a long time in my life where I, I didn't feel any accomplishment. Um, didn't graduate from high school like everybody else did or the way that they did. I did graduate from high school eventually, but not the same way as everybody else. Didn't walk the stage with my class. Uh, didn't go to college. Didn't graduate from college. Didn't walk the stage there. Um, so, you know, I, there are times when I felt like, you know, I was existing. I wasn't excelling. I wasn't accomplishing anything. And... When you lower standards and you – we all complain. I think we do. People complain about participation stories, uh, trophies. And it is sad because there is a sense of accomplishment when you finally win. We were just talking about this earlier today. Um, when I was coaching high school football, my brother's sophomore year in high school um, – or was it his junior year? I don't remember which one it was. It was one of the years in high school. Um, his sophomore year. We played a team in Southwest Florida. You can look it up. It's Pahokee High School. I know it's a funny name. It's 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 an Indian name, Pahokee High School. It's on the it's on the, uh, the it's kind of on the west side of Lake Okeechobee, and um, it is a pretty poor town. But they have amazing talent in football that came out of uh, that comes out of Pahokee High School. And there's a, if you watch the ESPN thing that had to talk about the Muck Bowl in South Florida. Pahokee was one of those high schools, and they were just elite in the state. My brother saw more year in high school, we were beating them in a game that would have sent us to the playoffs if we beat them. They were at our place and we were beating them. And on the last play of the game with about 14 seconds left, they ran a punt back on us and scored a touchdown and we lost. And in that moment, there wasn't a dry eye on the field, not a dry eye on the field, not a coach, not a player, not a parent. The next year, we had that stayed with us as a coach and my brother as a player and everybody else on that team that stuck with them through summer weights and spring practice and all the things that you, you spring football, then summer weights, and then in the fall. And we went to their place to play the next season and we beat them 40 to six. The sense of accomplishment and all of a sudden that tragedy of losing that game the way we did was turned into euphoria and accomplishment and building something and going on to the state finals. We never won the state championship. We went to the state finals twice. And that sense of accomplishment came from hard work, not lowering the standards. The standard in in Florida high school football is amazingly high. There is great high school football here in Arizona, but not like the depth we had in Florida or Texas. And this story about lowering standards bothers me on every level. 
Uh, the American Bar Association is dropping the LSAT or the law school um, admissions test. The, they're dropping the LSAT in the name of diversity, and that bothers me on two levels. Number one, what it says to non-white applicants to law school is that you're not able to pass the LSAT. So we're going to let you in without passing it. And, and I think that's a horrible message to send because I that's stupid to think that if you're non-white, you can't pass that test. You just got to work hard. Just like everybody else does, you got to work hard. If you want to be a lawyer bad enough, you'll pass the test. That's who we are. That's what people are. If you want it bad enough, you'll achieve it. There are some people that are born with amazing talent, and if they don't have a high work ethic, all they have is talent, they're not going to be as good as they could be. And there are other people that have to work just to make the team. And that accomplishment, the movie Rudy as a football movie is so popular for that reason. When someone's determination says, I'm going to play at Notre Dame. And he did. When we take that away from people, you no longer have to accomplish anything. It's a participation trophy. Who cares? Not only that, the standards drop. And now what is important in our country when it comes to the laws and who um, represents you in a court case or people that go on to a law career, all of a sudden, that level of of, – Commitment and achievement is gone. Not only is that happening, but law schools around the country are walking away from ranking systems for the same reason in the name of diversity. So you're not going to know where that law school ranks against other law schools. It is it is sad in America that we are going to lower our standards and then tell a group of people based on the color of your skin we're lowering these standards for you because you can't get in otherwise. What a horrible thing to say to people. Um, We know that's not true. And every other avenue of our life, when you give someone an opportunity, when you give them an opportunity, the color of their skin, the wealth of their parents, the number of parents in the house, their sexual orientation, none of it matters. None of it matters. If you're focused on something. I use sports as the analogy because that's the world I came from. I watched racism wash away in a locker room because it was all about who was best to perform on the field. It didn't matter how much money your parents had. If your parents were married, it didn't matter what color your skin was. If you helped the team win, you were on that field. And that's the way life should be. That's what we're striving for. Stop lowering standards and telling people they can't achieve something. That's absolutely not true. We've got to equip them. We've got to give them every opportunity and then watch them flourish. Lowering the standards is never, ever, ever the answer. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, we are going to talk about election denial. Stick around.